I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be in verses 26 through 33 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Let me read that passage for you, and then I want to show a a quick video that will really go along with this passage of Scripture today. So Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great occasion. Thank you for the Lord's Day where we can celebrate your coming to earth, and we can also celebrate your resurrection. Thank you for the church that you have promised to build, and you continue to do so. Lord, may the words that come from these pages today find a place in each of our hearts. And would you use it, God, to shape us, to mold us, and to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, watch this.
that. Um, I love that that lady stayed on the phone the whole time. <laughs> that was, um, that's a video I call Joy and Surprise. And um, some of you are experiencing joy right now because the video is over. Um, some of you are surprised that the Hallelujah Chorus is actually like five minutes long, right? Uh, but that was a great event. That was in Canada, obviously before the pandemic, because I don't know if you can go to a mall anymore if you live in Canada. It is so strict there. But as great of an event that it was, the surprise of professional opera singers breaking out in the Hallelujah Chorus, it pales in comparison to the surprise, to the joy, to the elation experienced by a teenage girl, a young girl named Mary, just over 2,000 years ago. When she was visited by an angel, the angel Gabriel, and told that she, a virgin who had never been with any man, one who was engaged to be married to a young man named Joseph, that she would conceive a son. Not any child, but that she would give birth to the Son of God. Hollywood could not come up with a story this good. And let us be reminded this morning that this is an actual event. It really did happen, and it is detailed for us here in the Word of God. Many of us will gather with our families this Christmas. It's one week away today, in case you didn't know. And we will read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, and really, rightly so. But we cannot forget the events, the important events that are detailed in Luke 1, and that is our text for this morning. Earlier I read verses 26 to 33. My, my, the heart of my message will be in verses 32 and 33, but we need to look at the setting and the background before we get there. So look, if you would, back in verse 26, we read that now in the sixth month. So this is a reference to Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, the soon-to-be mother of a child named John. John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And in verse 24, we saw that Elizabeth became pregnant. She was in seclusion for about five months. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to the city of Nazareth. And of, of all the angels that we see in Scripture, there are only two that are named, and that is Michael, and here we see Gabriel. Gabriel was sent by God to Nazareth which was east of the Mediterranean Sea. It was west of the Sea of Galilee, about 60 miles straight north of Jerusalem. In verse 27, we see that Gabriel was sent to a specific place. He was sent to a specific person, to a virgin. And Isaiah had prophesied this long before, 700 years before the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign... Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And so both Matthew and Luke in their Gospels show this fulfillment, that a son was born to a virgin. And this is an essential element in the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit, an element that is essential to Christianity, and that is the virgin birth of Jesus. The Christian faith is meaningless without it. If Christ was not born of a virgin, if he, if he was conceived by sinful man, then he was born with original sin. He was in need of redemption. 
And that would mean he is not our perfect sacrifice on the cross. He was not, his death was not pleasing to the Father. And we would still be in our sins this morning, having no hope of salvation. There would be absolute no reason for us to be here together. Verse 27 talks about a virgin being engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. And you know this, that this engagement period, also called a betrothal, was the first state of marriage in the Jewish culture. This usually lasted for one year before the wedding day. The bride would live with her parents. The groom would live with his parents. How refreshing. If we could only do that in 2022 and 23. This was a legal agreement between the two families. It was not easily broken. And it was much like a divorce whenever it was. And so the virgin was betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was a physical descendant of David, as we see in Matthew 1, literally of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. In Greek, it is Miriam. And so in verse 28, we see Mary's encounter here with the angel Gabriel. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you favored one, or woman richly blessed. Literally, this is full of grace or endued with grace. And we have to be very careful here as we think about the Christmas story that Mary has not done anything to deserve grace. Let's remember what grace means. Grace means I get that which I do not deserve. The Roman Catholic Church teaches a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception that states that Mary was born sinless, without original sin, that she was full of grace and that she can dispense that grace to others because she has much grace to give. But that is not what the angel is saying here when he says, greetings, favored one. This is a woman richly blessed of God. It is a woman much graced by God. But Mary is a recipient of grace and not a dispenser of grace. Major difference. And this is according to God's good pleasure and his good pleasure alone. Not because of anything that she has done. The Lord chose this young girl to bear the Messiah simply because it pleased him to do so. And so the angel says, the Lord is with you. The Lord has chosen her for a very specific purpose. We'll look at her reaction in verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Greetings, favored one. Hello, woman blessed of God. This was not something you heard every day. And it was not every day that a young girl would receive a visit from an angel. Mary is a teenage girl, and when the angel appears to Zacharias earlier in Luke 1 in the temple, this is the first angel to appear in 500 years. This was extraordinary. This was fascinating. And therefore, Mary did not understand. She is perplexed. She is surprised. She is shocked. And she is afraid. And wouldn't you and I be the same? But the angel, verse 30, 
Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Well, this must have brought her great peace when the angel called her by name, Miriam. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Again, it's because it pleased God to show her favor. And now we come to the heart of the text, I believe, in verses 31 to 33. And there are seven different prophecies that are found in these three verses. At the beginning of verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb. We see that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was not Joseph's physical offspring. Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The next part of verse 31, And bear a son. We see over in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it could be, On the same page of your Bible where it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then the last part of verse 31, And you shall call his name Jesus. We see in Matthew 1, 24 to 25, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All of these prophecies here in verse 31 have been fulfilled. Christ really was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Christ really was born and lived and walked on this earth, and he really was given the name Jesus. It's not just a story that we hear every year in December, and sing songs about. It is a historical event, an event that we base our faith upon. It is the advent of our Lord. Well, there are four more prophecies here in verses 32 and 33. Two have been fulfilled and two have to do with his second coming. What I really want to focus on with you this morning is this, what the angel tells Mary about her child that will be born. This child is a gift from God. It is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is God in the flesh. But it is also Mary's child. She will carry him. She will deliver him. She will nurture him. She will care for him. And she will one day release him. I have three sons, two of them biological and one adopted. And so for our first two sons, we we got to go and listen to the heartbeat and, and see the ultrasound for the first time. And, and if you want to, like we did, uh, you can find out from the technician if you're having a boy or a girl. That's a very exciting time. And uh, from the ultrasound, you can keep going back to your appointments and you can learn about the baby's development. It is a miracle of God. Amen. Now, the scriptures do not say, but I did a little research. I'm pretty sure that Mary did not have an ultrasound. I know that's breaking news today. Go ahead and tweet that if you want to. And she she already knew what she was having anyway. Uh, She found this out whether they wanted to wait to find out or not. Mary and Joseph had to have some fun with other people, knowing for sure by the testimony of the angel Gabriel, who was sent by God himself, that she would indeed have a son 
I just think about friends that came alongside and saw Mary and Maybe people did this to you ladies when you were expecting, you know, everyone has an opinion. Oh, you're going to have a girl, you know, just by the way you're carrying the baby. Like they think they know that. Right. And I just wonder if people came to to Mary and said, oh, you're going to have a girl. And Mary and Joseph just had to laugh knowing that the Lord would give them a son. But even though she didn't have an ultrasound, she was able to find out some things about her baby before he was ever born. And today I would like to look at four things that Mary learned about her son, her baby boy, before he was born. Number one, she learned about his character. She learned about his character. Look at verse 32. The angel says, he will be great. I don't know about you, but the adjective doesn't seem strong enough. There has to be a better choice of words to describe Jesus here. And when I first looked at this, studied this years ago, I thought perhaps this is a poor translation. Maybe the New American Standard got it wrong here. But the NIV said great. The New King James, great. The RSV, great. Even the message said great. I should tell you something. And I thought, well, maybe all the translators missed it, but... The Greek word is mega, and it means great or large. And when I studied this in scripture for the first time and learned this, that the son born to Mary would be great, then I thought perhaps we use the word great a little too often. Flippantly, for common things. Wow, that was a great game last night. That was a great first half for the Colts. That was great cake, or that was great dessert. That was great coffee we had in the lobby. That was great singing this morning. It was pretty good, okay, but was it great? Wayne Gretzky was known as the great one, the greatest hockey player to ever play. And so then I thought, well, maybe this Greek word would only be found in verse 32, but it was not. In fact, this word appears 13 different times in the New Testament. It is used to describe that great storm on the Sea of Galilee that was calmed by Jesus. It is used of that great earthquake that took place when Jesus was crucified. It is used to describe the the large rock that sealed the tomb where Jesus was buried. This word is used of people. We see this word in the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 5.19 that says, Jesus says, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The adjective, however, is only attributed to two specific people in all the New Testament, Jesus and John. In Luke 1.15, about John, it says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. John was indeed a great man. Jesus said of him in Luke 7.28, I say to you, among those born of women, and that's everyone, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John paved the way for the coming of the Messiah. 
he prepared the people for the coming of Christ. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. I've always wondered what would that look like on an ultrasound. John was great. But John himself said this in regard to Jesus. In John 3.30, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The NIV translates that he must become greater, I must become less. It was said of John that he would be great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus was great. The angel said to Mary, he will be great. And we know that he was great, he is great, and he will always be great. And here we see the fuller meaning of what it means to be great. It describes who Jesus is, his character. And we sing some great songs about his greatness. Great is the Lord, how great thou art, how great is our God and our great Savior. And that greatness will be seen in the lofty title that is assigned to him. And that leads us to the second thing that Mary learned about her baby boy. Number two, she learned about his name. She learned about his name. Verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. There's a vast difference between Jesus and John. John was not born of a virgin. John was not conceived by the Holy Spirit. John was born with original sin and Jesus was not. In Luke 1.76, it is spoken of about John that it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Jesus, however, will be called the Son of the Most High. John was a prophet who prepared the way for the Messiah, but Jesus is the prophet that is spoken of in Deuteronomy 13. And to be called the Son of the Most High is to be equal with the Lord Most High. The very nature and being is revealed in his name. It indicates who he is. It reveals that this child, Jesus, would be God incarnate, God with a body. God in the flesh. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Verse 31 says, and you shall call his name Jesus. Kind of feel bad for Mary and Joseph. They, they couldn't uh, go buy a baby name book, you know. And try to decide what their child will be called. Uh, They couldn't go online and, and look up names. The internet was spotty in Nazareth anyway. His name was chosen by God himself. And I think about naming a child. And often the name of the baby has significance. It's a family name or the name of a friend or a historical figure. Well, this baby's name would have significance. He would be named after his father, the Lord, Yahweh. Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why should you call him that? 
because he will save his people from their sins. So son of the Most High is equal to Lord Most High. It's the Old Testament El Elyon. And so to be called is an idiomatic expression for to be. In other words, the angel is saying to Mary, he will be the Lord Most High in human form. God with us. The teaching of the New Testament is that the Son is equal to the Father in essence and in nature. Hebrews 1.3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. This is the one of whom Paul said in Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And we know that Jesus himself will claim to be equal with God while he is on the earth. In John 5.17, he says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And then the very next verse, it says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. What is the reaction of the Jews when he says this? In verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. The Jews answered him, for a good work we will not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. But friends, this is who Jesus was. God in the flesh. God in the manger. As the the hymn uh, says in Silent Night, Lord at thy birth. The angel Mary, to Mary, the angel says to Mary, this is who your child will be. The promised Messiah. And the Jews understood that the promised Messiah would be God. And Mary would have understood that this when she was told that her son would be called the son of the most high. It is a great name. It is a significant name. There is no other name by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. And it is the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So Mary learned about his character. Secondly, Mary learned about his name. Thirdly, we see today, she learned about his authority. She learned about his authority. Back in verse 32, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He receives all authority to the throne from heaven. He has been granted authority by the father. If you think back to the great commission right before Jesus ascends back to to heaven, he tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that authority comes from God in heaven. God was pleased with the birth and with the coming of Jesus. God was pleased with Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And God was pleased with Jesus at his baptism when we hear that voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
And it will please God, the Father, to give his son the throne of his father David. This has not yet taken place. This is unfulfilled prophecy. And if you go back through your Christmas cards that you've received in the last couple of weeks, Isaiah 9, 6 is probably on one of them that says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And then verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This is still to come, and it's exciting. This is to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and God's perfect timing. The Jews who were living during the time of Jesus, they hoped that this would take place in their lifetime. They were looking for a political and a militant king who would end the oppression that they were now facing from the Romans. And they wanted Jesus to take the throne by force. But no man will give Messiah the throne of David. Gabriel tells Mary that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. It will come from the hand and from the authority of the father himself. Jesus has rights to the throne. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's genealogy traces his lineage all the way back to David. And in the very first verse of that Gospel, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Jesus was David's physical descendant through the line of Mary and from the tribe of Judah. And that is why Jesus is known as the Lion of Judah. In 2 Samuel 7, God makes that covenant with David. And in verse 12, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And that is a reference to the Messiah, to Christ himself, to Jesus, who was fit for the throne and worthy to be king. Friends, Jesus will be king. And the government will indeed rest on his shoulders. He will rule the nations of the world. And all of us who know him as Lord and Savior will one day rule with him. And again, how exciting is that? So Mary learned about his character, that he would be great. She learned about his name, that he would be the son of the Most High. She learned about his authority, that he has rights to the throne. And fourthly, she learned about his rule. She learned about his rule. Verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I'm really excited about the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. But it doesn't end with the millennial kingdom. There will be no sadness after year 999. There will be no one mourning or moaning, saying, ah, only one more year. It's almost over. 1,000 years plus forever. I looked it up. It's a really long time. You know, it's, it's really curious to me that it says in verse 33, after talking about David here, it says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, why Jacob in verse 33? Why not stay with David? David is the most famous Jewish king, Israel's greatest king, the man after God's own heart, as we even heard this morning. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. 
the house of Jacob was synonymous with Israel, with the northern kingdom. And the house of David was synonymous with Judah, the southern kingdom. And I think the point is this, Israel will be one. One kingdom and Christ will reign over all. Currently, right now, at this very moment, God rules. He governs. He is sovereign over all his creation. He is in control of all things. Hebrews says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Paul says in Colossians that in him all things consist. But one day Christ will reign. He will literally reign from the throne of David over the house of Jacob. Again, Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. If you think about God's covenant with David, again, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13 says, he shall build a house for my name And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. We learn a lot here in verses 32 and 33 about who Jesus would be. The angel tells Mary that her son would be great And he was, and he is, and he is our great Savior. The angel told Mary that he would be called Son of the Most High, that he would be God incarnate, God with us. Yahweh saves, that is his name, and he has saved us from our sins. The the angel told Mary that he would be a king, that the Lord God of Israel would give him the throne of David, that his authority would come from heaven, This was no ordinary child. And the angel told Mary that this child would reign forever, for eternity, and that his kingdom would have no end. We know that Jesus was born. He grew as a child. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose triumphantly from the grave. He ascended back to heaven. And he is coming back this time to stay and to rule and to reign. I would like to end our time this morning with a preview, not another video, but a preview of a coming attraction, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if you could go back just a few books to the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Back to your left, three or four books. Zechariah 14. And let me read verses 1 through 5. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as, as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front 
of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Do you want to know how I interpret this passage, this biblical prophecy? Literally. In Acts chapter 1, Christ ascended back to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And the two angels, the two men dressed in white, said to the disciples, This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Back to the Mount of Olives. Verse 4 says, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Most likely here we see a great earthquake and the mountain is split in two. The people will flee. Then the Lord, Yahweh, and he says, my God, Elohim, Jesus Christ will come and all the holy ones with him. Breaking news, friends, this is us. That includes us. And I want you to see verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. The Lord will be the only one. There'll be one religion, Christianity. Satan will be bound for a thousand years as we read in Revelation 20. This is an event of great significance. We see the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant providing the Jewish people, the the nation of Israel, that land that was promised by God to Abraham. We see the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which promised a king from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And we so see the fulfillment of the new covenant, which gives hope, the hope of salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile. All of this will be fulfilled in Christ, through Christ, and by Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great one. And we will always be with the Lord and we will all join together and sing hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that what we read in this great text is inspired. It is God breathed. It is authoritative. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is your holy word. This is not a fairy tale. It's not just something we pretend about and and, uh, have an occasion to celebrate and sing songs and have people over and open presents. Lord, what we read in this ancient text is the truth. Jesus would come to earth and he was and is great he is the son of the most high and all authority has been given to him and lord there is coming a day will where he will reign over all the earth and we who know him will reign with him and his kingdom will have no end lord what joy that brings to our hearts knowing that in the end you win 
you make all things right. And Lord, we will always be with the Lord and we will reign with you forever. God, we are so unworthy. Just as Mary was unworthy to give birth to the Savior, to the Messiah, we are so unworthy of your grace and your mercy and your love. We were sinners who had rebelled against you. But Lord, you have brought us into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And for that, we will eternally be grateful. God, may this be uh, on the top of our minds and in our hearts as we celebrate this Christmas season, giving thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.